You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat. The scientist, the writer, the artist is challenged. If we were facing an alien threat from outside this world, the challenge must be taken up. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? I got nothing going on. You got nothing going on. I need something to do. We need something to do. You should know by now that man in the Bugatti, he's a member of the Thanks for downloading another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast, where we love our institutions so much we have to burn them down. You can talk back at us at our Facebook page, Twitter, or our website, sectarianreviewpodcast.com. And whether you love to hate us or hate to love us, please go to iTunes and review the show. That helps other people find us. Now sit back and enjoy. Do whatever that you like, do whatever, baby, cause I, oh, I don't care, yeah, yeah, it's alright, alright. Have you no sense of decency, sir, at long last? Have you left no sense of decency? I do. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This is Danny uh, from uh, the Sectarian Review Podcast. Thank you for downloading yet another episode of the show. Uh, joining me today is Nathan Gilmore uh, from Emanuel College. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. We're actually in the middle of finals week here because of our wacky, wacky early schedule. So by the time this drops, uh, my fall semester will be over. <laughs> That's uh, way earlier than everybody else's, uh, which is, uh, but you're working in December too. You got a philosophy class, you say? Yep. Teaching a intro to philosophy to a small group of students, you know, a two week intensive course. So four hours a day of philosophy with Gilmore. I think that's going to come in handy for our discussion today, probably too. So, uh, and, uh, and also you should recognize Nathan by now. If you're listening to this show, you only know about us probably because of Nathan show, which is, uh, the Christian humanist podcast. He's the, the patriarch of that show, the, uh, whatever, um, whatever member of the triumvirate <laughs> that you want to make him <laughs> that's who he is and so uh joining uh nathan and i is todd peddler uh todd how you doing man i'm doing all right i'm doing all right it's uh, uh we're not we're not on any kind of schedule like uh like emmanuel is so i've still got a long slog ahead but um and and, and a longer slog because i just gave two exams today so i'm kind of <laughs> Uh, looking at uh, looking at some grading this weekend, but no hey, Scantron for you. Do. No Scantron. No, no, no. Good I'm going to figure out a way to do my freshman comp essays via Scantron someday. Someday I'll get big. Well, you, should just yeah. have, you should just have them do it by, uh, you know, by autocorrect replace, you know, on their phones. <laughs> that would, that would, in some cases, it wouldn't be bad. Uh, so uh, Todd coming at us from Luther College and also uh, one of the co-hosts of the Book of Nature podcast, uh, which uh, is you guys got one coming up? <laughs> I've got three in the bag. I just oh. have to get them out. Oh, okay. So, so all right. It's, it's, it's behind on the editing process. That's I all. see. I see. We need an intern like that, like that Michael Farmer's guy up there in Minnesota. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right. Um, well, all right. Well, Todd, this is, I'm going to turn this over to you immediately because this show is your idea today. Um, I don't, as of the recording yet, have a quite a title to give it. Maybe we can come up with a title as we record here. But uh, Todd, why don't you tell us about what we'll be talking about today? 
Yeah. So, um, well, I probably first proposed this topic to Danny. Uh, <laughs> oh, it might have been two years ago. <laughs> like two I mean, years we, ago, yeah. We never got around to doing an episode un, un, until until now. Um, and my first inclinations about it arose after a period of advising discussions with first-year students about upcoming coursework and, and, and whatnot that they were registering for. And talking about career paths and, and uh, things that they want to do with their lives. And, and I was finding more and more uh, then, and, and the trend continues two years on, um, more and more examples of anxiety among some of my students about what path they should be on and how they could make sure they didn't make mistakes in choosing classes. And uh, some complained about not really being very sure about what they wanted to do. Um, no career choices were really jumping out at them, and there wasn't really any burning passion within them to pursue anything in particular. Um, others were worried that if they didn't pursue three things at once, they might miss out on something they ought to be doing. So they burned the candle at both ends and the middle. Um, others ran into brick walls when the one thing they were really passionate about came into conflict with grades and class performance. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and this all got me to thinking about what we're doing to students. Um, we being the educational establishment, um, when passion, what I guess I would call passion driven education seems to be the norm. Um, we tell students they should pursue only what they're really passionate about, and we tell them that whatever they're passionate about, they can pursue and 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 become whatever they want. You know, be all you can be, etc. Um, and then we see students who fail to be able to drum up any particular passion at all, um, or we see you know society telling students that they need to make lots of money, and those who are passionate about truly passionate about things like helping services find they'll struggle most of their lives to make much of that money. Um, so. You know, I really this really just comes out of a concern that I have for our students. Um, what are we doing to these poor souls that causes so many to become so twisted up in throes of of agonizing anxiety? Um, what can we do to help them? Mm. Um, these things are on my mind, um, especially as college becomes more expensive and finances become more and more of a factor. Um, they're 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 even more present to me these concerns. So I figured I'd just. Uh, call on uh, a few of my friends who uh, were do, are in the same line of work as I am and and see if you could help me out. So is passion really all it's cracked up to be in higher ed? I mean, yeah. that's really my question. I think you gave us the title there. I like passion-driven education. I think that might be what I put on the uh, <laughs> okay. uh, on the, the cover art for this episode because I think that's, that's really a good way to describe what we're uh, kind of talking around, if not about today. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and I have to say, I thought that we had covered this. I thought we had, because two years ago you did start bug, pulling my ear about this, not bugging me, mm -hmm. pulling my ear about this, which is probably worse than bugging now that I think about it physically. It's, it's, that's offensive, Todd. How dare you? Um, but uh, um, don't you know boundaries? Um, anyway, uh, but the uh, I thought we kind of hit this when we talked about uh, shop class as Soulcraft. Remember we did that episode about yeah. that book. And I think this is definitely going to be related to the some of the topics we covered on that episode. And so mm -hmm. if you want a little more background after that, you listen to this one, go back and listen to that one. Um, you can find it at the uh, sectarianreviewpodcast.com. So, um, right. Todd, do you want to take yeah. uh, control of the conversation and, and yeah, shoot uh, questions around? We'll, go ahead. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, I actually think my second request to do this episode came after we recorded that one. <laughs> <laughs> when you realized I didn't really do what you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, that one was a, no, that was, you know, it was a different, it was, it was different. I mean, I, I think we're going to hit some of the same areas, but, but this is really, I think hits closer to home for us as educators. And, yeah. um, so I guess I'd, I'd throw this Nathan's way. Um, 
I, I, I'm curious about the origins of this, this kind of thinking, um, that students believe that the only thing they should pursue for work is that which feeds some passion of theirs. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, what it, when did you first notice this? Maybe it's been from the first days that you started teaching. Maybe it's since then. Any ideas about why it might have come to pass that this is the ways or one of the ways students engage with their education? What's interesting to me is that this is something against which thinking people contended for centuries and centuries and centuries. So, you know, by the time I got into higher ed, you know, at the, the turn of the 21st century, uh, you could pretty well assume that, you know, students were either in it to get a job or to pursue their passion. Those are the two major possibilities there. Uh, but before that, you know, if you go all the way back, you know, into pre-Christian days, I mean, you know, philosophy was largely concerned with resisting passion. Uh, so, I mean, you know, what, what I find fascinating is when I read these old books mm. that I teach, uh, they warn over and over and over again not to be victims to their passion, right? So, I mean, the Stoics, that was their whole project, you know, not to be overcome by, you know, this charging, you know, fiery anger, but instead to be reasonable, uh, and likewise, you know, the uh, the same kind of, you know, fiery imagery St. Paul uses when he talks about, you know, what leads you into adultery. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, the the suspicion of passion is much, much older than the pursuit of passion. And in fact, I mean, when we talk about the passion of the Christ, not not the Mel Gibson movie, first and foremost, but <laughs> the the theological datum that we call the passion of the Christ, it is a scandal precisely because. God, among all other, you know, uh, entities, I'll just call it that because I, I realize if I call God a, a being that I'm going to run afoul of the Thomas. Um, <laughs> but among, um, but God, if no one else, uh, shouldn't be passionate, and yet there is this passion of the Christ. In other words, the world acts upon Christ rather than Christ acti- acting upon the world. That's what the scandal is. Now, you know, in our own period, you know, the the idea that uh, passion is itself a good thing. Uh, again, I mean, you really have to get pretty modern to get there. Uh, mm. If you go back even as far as Jane Austen, you know, the famous scene uh, where Darcy says that, you know, I have no good reason to love you. Um, oh, gosh, Elizabeth, there we go. I'm like, well, who's the character in Pride and Prejudice? Uh, but, you know, I, I am overcome with this strong feeling. She takes that as an insult, right? Um, and so, I mean, you know, it's really not until the last 200 years, give or take, that we get this idea that, you know, that at the very least the intellectual life and the vocational life should be governed by this strong feeling for something. Uh, so, I mean, you know, in my own work, uh, again, you know, the, the kinds of students that I get usually are very suspicious of pursuing some kind of passion because they're afraid they won't get a job. Yeah. Uh, and you know, once I start, you know, asking, what do you want a job for? We get into a different conversation entirely, but the ones who aren't here mainly because they think, okay, this will get me a job that pays 10 grand a year more than if I don't go to college you know, they tend to have some kind of passion. And the way that we tend to talk about it uh, is, you know, this is really a strong intention is what I would call it. You know, uh, when I think about what I want to do day to day, this is what I would do if I didn't have to make money. So the idea is if you can make money doing that thing 
that you wouldn't have to be paid for, then you're doing all right because, you know, nothing can possibly go wrong there. We'll talk about that more later, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know, Danny, I want to lateral over to you. I mean, uh, have you always had students who were pursuing their passions? No, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's not always, at least uh, that's not that's always the case. I want to backtrack before I answer that, though. I'm actually impressed that you came up with the names from um, Austin. I love Jane Austen. I think I've read everything but Sense and Sensibility. But to me, it's all one big story. It's always Captain So-and-so and somebody's cousin got all the <laughs> yeah. money. And, 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 and I can't remember what story what happens in. Right. So it's amazing to me that you uh, you were able well, to. I, 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 I just knew when I saw Todd's question, I'm like, I got to get some Jane Austen in here because I've been. <laughs> Uh, yeah. accused before of never reading anything past John Milton. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's that's quite a bit past, actually. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I would, I mean, right after that, though, we do have the romantics, right? Uh, the yeah, the, the romantic current with that. Huh? And current with Austin. Yeah, well, right. Exactly. And so, I mean, you do get that sense of. Um, it's sort of our first, I mean, kind of like the rock stars who, you know, live fast and die at 27, right? Uh, that's kind of our, uh, our people pursuing whatever internal, th- internally defined thing that drives them to a love nature and life, right? And so I think that to me is like an earlier, the earliest thing I can think of, uh, mm-hmm. that resembles, I think, what students want out of their lives. Uh, and so one, the problem, of course, is, college isn't a natural fit for that sort of thing, right? I mean, we have uh, gen ed requirements and we have uh, core, you know, courses that people have to take and uh, college itself isn't necessarily wired anymore, at least. And maybe we can argue about whether it ever was for this sense of exploration of self, right? I think that that's kind of a, if not a myth, then something is overplayed, I think in our, in our culture. And so in, in my experience, it isn't, I mean, I think we're going to talk more about, um, I don't want to call them class issues per se, but, uh, there are definitely colleges on, on a spectrum here. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think in my experience, most of my students are like not, are their first generation college students. Um, many of them are, uh, people, older people who are returning to school. And so we kind of serve, uh, where I teach, which I haven't mentioned on the show for a while, Mount Aloysius college, uh, in Pennsylvania, we kind of serve a, a very working class kind of mm-hmm. student who is coming to college to get a job, in nursing or something like that, where they can get a job right in, in this area and not have to move. And so they've already kind of given up if they had any passions, uh, any kind of aspirations for that in many cases, uh, before they get here. And I'm obviously, um, painting with, painting with the broad brush yet again, but, uh, that, uh, but in many cases that is the case. And so I kind of feel like this is one of those conversations about college that, it kind of elides a majority of colleges in some ways. Um, mm. So a lot of, we talk about like the campus protest culture and free speech policing that doesn't happen where I work. And I, mm. uh, it doesn't happen probably where Nathan works um, um, or very often, at least in, in the mm. same ways this, this is not Berkeley. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, and yet when the media talks about that issue, it gives the impression that this is what college students are like. Right. And, oh, yeah. and, and it's not really at all the experience that we have here. And I think mm-hmm. in some ways this is um, a, uh, uh, this is a similar kind of conversation. I do want to yeah. say though um, that I feel like 
um, in terms of where it comes about, uh, I think the, mm-hmm. the phrase, how might it have come to pass, that this is one of the ways that students approach mm-hmm. their education. There is a systemic uh, reason, I think, for this. And you have this kind mm-hmm. of arms race for those elite colleges, those colleges that mm-hmm. aren't that are selective, uh, the colleges mm-hmm. that are that are more selective. Um, people have to write essays and something beyond your grades have to have to mm-hmm. uh, factor into you getting admitted to this college. And that requirement then filters out into this kind of college admissions industrial complex where you have uh, <laughs> guidance counselors in high school that coach people on how to write mm-hmm. the right kind of essay and how to sort of do the right presentation of self for the, the, the college that you're interested in going to. Um, and, and then also there are, I think mean, there are, uh, what do you call them? Count like a, what do you call them? Not counselors, but you call them oh, consultants. consultants. Yeah. They're oh, consultants, yeah. right. That, that work in this industry to sort of help people pitch their resumes to colleges. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think that there is kind of a, uh, this quest for cultural capital. And I think the, the idea of passion has been reduced to sort of an, almost an economic, uh, uh, activity uh, and it's sort of it, it becomes like a signifier of cultural capital so that you will fit in um, in the kind of PR version of diversity that we have in this college right um, and also it reminds me if you've ever watched the Sopranos in those kind of middle season um, episodes where uh, Meadow the daughter is applying to colleges there's all sorts of episodes about this where um, the, the people are, are complaining that you know somebody has Native American blood and so they can actually put that in their college application so everything about the human mm-hmm. person in that it process as, as yeah. gets narrated on the Sopranos becomes reduced to the some sort of uh, chip that you can play in yeah. the college admission process. And passion is one of those things. And so even the sure. good deeds you will do in working with poor people in your neighborhood is uh, become a commodity, right? In, in trying to pitch yourself for these colleges. And so I think that there's a, like a material reason for this as well. Go ahead, Todd. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. that's, that's gross. And I do want to add Danny that, I mean, in my college, I mean, we do get, probably more than you would get at, at, at uh, Mount Aloysius. Uh, we do get the, the group of students who are very involved in sort of campus worship, the mandatory chapel services, yeah. ministry majors, things like that, who will far more often talk about their passion for this and that, right? Yes. Uh, you know, they, they, they are passionate for Jesus. They are passionate for the lost. They are passionate for, you know, being radical for Jesus, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we do have that, although it's not – nearly as much something that they can trade uh, as a chip because, I mean, you know, ministry, as they discover, is one of our more rigorous majors. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when they are basically, you know, at their appeals trial to get readmitted (laughs) after they flunk out, uh, they discover quickly enough that if they say, I have a passion for, you know, ministry, we say then how did that translate into study habits for your theology classes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is true. I, um, I, I, I think the CCCU school that you guys are a part of that coalition, the, the CCCU was a council for Christian colleges and universities, that evangelical college. Think, close enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they, uh, that there is a, a particular form, um, in which passion kind of embodies in schools like that. And you're, what you're talking about is exactly right. And I do remember people who kind of felt like schoolwork was kind of 
getting in the way of their ministry in way of their passion. Right. And so they, they that's the reason they would, uh, they would not quite make it as a, what a minister because they couldn't actually take time to study. They just wanted to do the ministry, you know, and, uh, and be passionate in, in front of oh, people. So, yeah. You, you know, the, the more you, the more you talk about this though, that this is exactly the, the, exactly the problem that, that I find and you know my, our student body is very different. We're we're already morphing into this question that sort of I had at the end, but <laughs> I, know, I, you uh, know, I, thought, I wondered if that was going to happen. Actually, it, 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 no, <laughs> it, it's fine. You know, this is. It, um, but you know, we are um, at Luther. Luther is definitely different than uh, than either of your institutions. Um, but we're not elite. We have we have we have a very wide variety of um, of uh, programs that serve more academic. Uh, academically oriented folks, you know, people are going to go off to graduate school. People are going to go off to pursue research. They're going to do um, this, that, and the other thing. Um, but I, you know, I, I find also that one's passion for this field or that field sometimes runs again, runs up against the willingness of the student to get out of the chair and stop playing World of Warcraft or whatever. <laughs> Uh, you know, they think they want to pursue this. They think they want to be a doctor. Uh, they think to, they want to be an engineer. They want to be an engineer, but they hate mathematics yeah. uh, or they don't do well in mathematics. They don't realize that passion isn't enough. So, you know, the fact that a deep desire to do X is one of these things that we sort of drum into students um, to have to develop before they enter college Um and thereby to sell themselves on the auction block of, of students who are trying to get admittance. Um, a man that seems like we've, we've, we've done them a disservice. Um, I, but as you guys were talking, uh, about passion for ministry and so forth for, for the students, I think that, that more often than not, you guys see is the suspicion of passion for anything else rampant I, i'm sure from nathan it must be uh, give me give me an example i'm not sure well so so i really you know suppose someone i'm i'm a student i end up at at emmanuel and the real passion i have is to be a large animal veterinarian and and, and not and not i have a passion for christ or i have a passion for ministry i have a passion for this i mean the passions are ranked right uh to some extent i mean i i think that uh because Emmanuel is no longer first and foremost a preacher school, uh, ministry is actually one of our smaller majors now. Uh, there's definitely a sense that, well, and I, oh gosh, there's no way around this. So I'm just going to say it <laughs> because because we have become a jock school first and foremost. Uh oh, actually, <laughs> <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> The passion for your sport is actually something that sometimes gets more respect than passion for ministry or passion for this and that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, I, I think that uh, for whatever bad comes of it, at least one good thing that comes of it is that, you know, we do get a sort of Protestant democratization of vocation. Uh, now, the, the drawback to that is that, you know, every you know, JV basketball player thinks they're going to be coaching at University of North Carolina one day. <laughs> but um, at the very least, we don't have the caste system that puts the ministry majors on top of a totem pole. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so we've, we've sort of, we've sort of gone in this direction. Um, so let's just keep going. Um, 
Danny, um, passion, what other uses, I guess, are there for this word passion um, that you see when, when students say I'm passionate for this? Um, what is that coming from? Well, I, now, as you guys are talking, I'm actually th- wondering, I mean, so it's kind of like, also, I've, this is a theological concept that I've recently read about, I mean, it came up on Twitter for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, <laughs> that's the deep as my theology goes sometimes. But, um, but uh, that all kind of sin is sort of an expression of, it's sort of a flawed expression of something that is actually good, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have sort of a desire that is good and mm-hmm. sin is a perverted version, uh, a perverted, not version, but a perverted um, instantiation of that desire, right? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, uh, and so I feel like passion is kind of like that people have natural you know things that they're just interested in and mm-hmm. and i feel like that where they get off the right path is they they lose track of the spirit of the thing that they're kind of interested in and and, and get trapped inside the the trappings of the thing that they're interested in and i know that doesn't make any sense and so i feel like um a better word that I would use, I guess, this is what I wrote down next to that question, is mm-hmm. um, curiosity, I think, is, is mm-hmm. a better um, motivator, I think, than passion. Because you could be interested in something, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you can be curious about it, even if it isn't automatically the thing that you think fits with your passion, Right. So you, mm-hmm. you have a, you come into college with an interest in something. And if you kind of single mindedly focus on that thing that you're interested in, in mm-hmm. pursuing your passion or your calling in that case, mm-hmm. um, what you do is you, you end up approaching it very kind of mechanically. Right. And, and you don't mm-hmm. sort of look around at where you actually are in the world and, and be curious about where your passion, your interests have led you and then apply those passions to whatever you're doing. Right. And so I feel like Mm. curiosity is a better sort of mode. I think to think about this Mm -hmm. is I'm curious about uh, this thing that I'm interested in. And if I phrase it in that way, I'll be more likely to look around wherever I'm at and see how it can inform whatever I'm doing. Right. And so if I came Mm. into college as the, you know, I want to be a missionary in Zambia or something like that. Uh, and I end up in Emmanuel College and could, I can't get the theology classes passed. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. I really have been enjoying my Nathan Gilmore's uh, English classes. Right. Maybe there's something I can do uh, the, that is really relevant to what I came into college at being interested in. And mm-hmm. since I mentioned Nathan, I don't know what you think about all that. <laughs> well, I mean, what strikes me as you describe that is that. There's actually, and I mean, you, you guys can speak to your context for a moment, but I mean, uh, hookup culture, I mean, you know, mm. Emmanuel College is not immune to it. So, I mean, there is, if not a suspicion, at least a hesitance when it comes to being passionately in love with another human being. Whereas, I mean, you can talk about being passionate about science or passionate about writing or passionate about ministry mm. without nearly that kind of hesitance or, you know, even suspicion, right? Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, what you're talking about, Danny, I mean, it, it seems like it is a reversal of, you know, what you would kind of expect, you know, of the young, right? You know, I mean, hmm. the young are supposed to fall passionately in love with, you know, 
uh, the person that they're in proximity with, but you know, they're supposed to be sort of flighty when it comes to what they want to do. Right. Mm. But we, but you know, these pressures that we've been talking about kind of flip that, right? You can't really Mm. get attached to anyone because you might have to forego career opportunities to be proximate to that person. Yeah. You know, but you are allowed to be, you know, passionate about your engineering. Yeah. I, and hmm. I, I honestly didn't plan to talk about that today, but it occurred to me while you're just now talking, Danny. So yeah. I, I have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, because, yeah, we have a, a passion as in the, you know, the sort of romantic sense then, which in evangelical. Really, that's primary, is it not? Hmm. I mean, well, I mean, and again, maybe I should have done some OED work here, but yeah. I mean, it seems like people were talking about passion in erotic attraction well before they are talking about being passionate about, you know, uh, biology. Yeah. I guess that's a bad, that's a bad example. Well, passionate about, uh, (laughs) arithmetic. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so, so let's, um, we got to delve back into sort of, uh, higher education history here to think about this because really up until, uh, up until the advent of the college major, Right, right. Which been the, late nineteenth century late, with Charles Eliot at Harvard. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, before you before that time, you don't you go to college. Your education looks pretty much like anyone else's education looks. Right, you are educated in these uh, classic disciplines um, before you ever think about a particular direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 also, you know, we're. In this century, or in the previous century, at least the latter half of the previous century, were a lot freer than people used to be to set the direction of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's when you know sprinkled throughout the 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 you know document that we sort of put together before this episode are are instances where it seems clear that there's a contemporary. Uh, uh, angle on this that that has arisen because of the way education has changed. Um, and so the, the idea of being passionate for a particular line of work, I don't know how much that would have even come into people's minds in mid, you know, early to mid 19th century or before. Yeah. Maybe I, I'm wrong. I, I put out a call on Twitter. Um, I like to do this before a show saying we're talking about this. Shoot me any questions or anything you have. And, uh, Chris Buckley, who, uh, he listens sometimes and, uh, he, I think, uh, contributed nicely to our Wolfman episode. Um, he responded, I deeply distrust anyone on a personal level who claims to have a passion for what they're living. If, if it's your passion and you're doing that for money, we have a word for that. (laughs) 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 His implication being clear, right? Uh, And so, but it's related to what you're saying, right? And, and it's, it's, (laughs) and there's something to be said for this. There's something about, uh, disentangling your self and your vocation from your way of making a living, your sense of self and your way of making a living should not be utterly intertwined, I think, in an ideal world, I think. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that's kind of what he's getting at uh, in, the, in that tweet, which was hilarious, Chris. But um, but also, uh, uh, I think it, it speaks to what you're saying, this being a, a rather recent uh, phenomenon, which reminds me, oh gosh, was this Coil was on the show with me, Coil Neal? We did a show on authenticity. Um, this reminds me of the conversation that we have about authenticity and that people bring 
this kind of idealized version of themselves and, and present that to the world and kind of expect the world to adjust to it. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that um, this idea of having a passion has got to be completely interrelated to that. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, somewhat romantic comment or com- uh, version of authenticity that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also interesting because as the, manufacturing sector in the American economy has largely gone out of country. Uh, I mean, there really is some kind of economic reality connected to this. Right. And, you know, I mean, I, um, I, I don't know if my brother Ryan listens to this show or not, but, uh, you know, he, he was telling me last time we were hanging out, I think this summer that, uh, he's got a friend who basically freelance programs for gaming companies. And his most recent gig, I mean, that made him a year's salary was to write software so that the characters in the latest Grand Theft Auto game could interact with ocean water <laughs> so they wouldn't immediately die. You know, they, they would walk slower and the water would move around them and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And, you know, it, it occurred to me, it took me a few seconds, but, uh, you know, this guy has a job, you know, selling code for ocean water to Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't get a job building Buicks in Detroit. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, there's definitely some weirdness here. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's definitely connected to some economic weirdness. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Danny, I stole the Marxist from you before you could get to it there. <laughs> no, but. thank you. Thank you. Um, take some of the pressure off of me, which kind of reminds me, you know that a couple of weeks ago, this is a total aside. Let me uh, make a transition. Uh <laughs> That's a total aside here, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was an article in the New York Times, I think by David Bentley Hart, about whether Christians should be communists or something like that. Did you, yes, did, yes. Right. Everybody's sharing that, is. and I like purposefully didn't because of this uh, this sort of reputation I have. And, and and somebody, a friend of mine, Josh Cohen, actually shared it to my Facebook page without my permission. I'm like, darn you, Josh. So, um, anyway, so yeah. So by all means, take that uh, take that burden from me. So um, <laughs> oh golly. <laughs> well, so um, I, I think this is this will be this will be related to a question that's written down here. But um, as I as I mentioned in my little intro, um, sometimes sometimes or at least I, I hinted at it, uh, sometimes gifting and mm-hmm. passions don't mix, mm-hmm. don't, don't they don't match. Um, and. You know, in an earlier era, one would pursue training according to at least some sense of reason about the gifts that they have. And so, uh, you know, we weren't even there, there wasn't the sense of freedom to pursue something that wasn't directly tied to some kind of um, clear objective um, path towards a means of supporting oneself because of the way, you know, this person is good with his hands, therefore he ought to be a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this person is good. You know, again, uh, now I'm, now I'm having flashbacks to, sh- to, to shop classes, soul craft, <laughs> um, you know, but, but, but really what, if, if if not passion, what should drive one's or what does drive one's pursuit of higher education? Um, in other words, what are the alternatives? One thing that I am thinking about this, I, I started just, you know, Googling around and, and thinking. And the, the 
our very first episode was actually called vocation. It was about vocation. Um, and I feel like that's a, a concept that would apply here. I feel like when I think of vocation, I think of like a priest being called uh, to the ministry, right? Uh, and to, to the priesthood. And so that is not done for the pursuit of one's own happiness or fulfillment or, or you know, all of these more romantic notions of authenticity and passion, right? I mean, if he has a passion for that kind of ministry, it's in it. It comes about by uh, humbling himself to uh, serve, right? And so, vocation as service more than uh, wish fulfillment, uh, and, and I feel like that's kind of the dis- a, a distinction that I see here. I don't want to say it's the distinction, but it's a distinction between passion in career choice, which you get these, I mean, and I tell my students, whatever, I mean, if you're doing this for a job, you're going to hate whatever job you get at some point in your life. Do you think I love grading papers at the end of the semester? I can't think of a better job that I'm suited for than this, but it's not like it, it makes me happy all the time. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so if you're, if that's the reason you're doing this, it's, it's the wrong reason you have to, uh, I mean, and for me, it's, you know, you, conceive of it as service rather than, um, than, you know, self-fulfillment. And and I feel like that's uh, another term, maybe along with curiosity that uh, Mm. I would use instead of passion. um, If I were Mm. recommending um, students to, uh, to do something and that's going to depend on where you are, right? If I, Mm -hmm. uh, if I live in a place and not willing to move, I mean, my options are limited to what is available to do in front of me. And so like, that's, Mm -hmm. What an educated person should be able to do is to look around oneself and say, these are the opportunities in front of me. How best can I uh, pursue them, right, Uh, given Mm -hmm. what I am? And that's an entirely different conversation than paralyzing yourself by if I'm not fulfilled, then I've blown it somehow, right? Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's it's interesting to me um, to – wrestle with students as I do sometimes over this question. And, you know, to, I, I readily admit that I feel, uh, you know, I recognize that I am in a very small minority that was able to put together the things that he really wanted to do and to make it the basis for the support of, of his family. I mean, this, this, you know, this mm-hmm. does not happen that often. Um, and people, I, I think, I think we're telling people that that's not true, right? We're, 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 we're and, and you already alluded to it earlier. Um, the, 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 the deep connection that is made between, um, making one's living and, um, and the passion that one has for doing, X doing whatever whatever it might be not 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 to be so wedded uh, the two ought not to be so wedded because things happen right yeah um, circumstances happen and and sometimes it's very very hard you may be really 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 passionate about some cause yeah the likelihood of your being able to support yourself and a family on, on that on that basis is 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 not very big um, mm-hmm. unless things just happen to align just right. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, another stream here is, uh, you know, just what both of you are pointing at that to think of your life as happening for the sake of your neighbors rather than for the sake of your own fulfillment is itself a paradigm shift. And and this is where, you know, I'm going to shift from being the, the Marxist to the cultural conservative here. And I think I'm kind of both. 
Um, we'll call it cultural Marxism. That, that's your Facebook profile, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, but I mean, this is why, you know, for generations, and I would say for millennia, people have, you know, put Plato's Republic in front of the young, right? Because, I mean, uh, it's a meandering book, but I mean, one of the threads that runs all the way through that book uh, is that the good human life is the life for others, not the life for the sake of one's own power. Uh, so, you know, among other things, you know, the, the famous allegory of the cave, which is what everyone remembers if they remember anything from Plato's Republic, is all about ascending to what, you know, truly fulfills you personally, but then answering the call of responsibility to descend back into the cave and to do the dark and dirty work of acting for the sake of others, right? And then, of course, you know, you get killed for doing it, but that's Socrates, so you don't have to worry about that so much. But, um, you know, this idea that, you know, even at the very end of Republic, um, you've got this, you know, extended allegory of reincarnation, and it's never the bad people that get reincarnated. This is not a a Hindu text. Uh, Instead, it is precisely the good people who are immediately put back into the world because the world needs them. Mm. So, I mean, you know, the, the idea that, uh, I should be able to choose what I do is utterly alien to that text. The criterion is not what is it that, you know, stirs my emotion, but it is what does the community discern that I can do that is good for other people on a sustained basis. Yeah. And I think that that communitarian character of uh, Plato's call, if you will, is something that, you know, 21st century folks could learn something from. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember my show I did on the Bruderhof? Um, I, uh, I interviewed some folks from the Bruderhof community uh, and they actually live in that way. And I, I want to take a second. This is a perfect transition into this. Actually, it's actually very natural. Have you guys been there listening? You go, Danny. Have you been listening to the Life Together podcast? It's uh, I have heard a couple. Uh, it's the Bruderhof podcast. And they talk about some of these issues in really uh, thoughtful and interesting ways from the perspective of people who actually live this way. I mean, they have given up private property and um, they do whatever the community sort of deems is necessary. And and it is a, um, it stands, it's a paradigm shift as Nathan was saying um, uh, from where our contemporary world is, but let me give me a little pitch for it. The life together is a podcast from a group of Christians. You may not have heard about the Bruderhof. They live in intentional communities is what they call them modeled after the early church and the early Anabaptists. They publish uh, Plow Quarterly, and I've had Peter Mumpson, their editor, from New York on my show before. Peter's a co-host of Life Together, along with Bernard Hibbs from England and Marianne Wright, who lives not far from me here in Pennsylvania. Uh, I do really love the Life Together podcast as it covers a blind spot that's missed in our divided left versus right and evangelical versus progressive paradigms of faith and culture and politics so check it out life together they're on itunes google play soundcloud and stitcher they release episodes every friday faith culture and community from the bruderhof and plow uh so they're uh, really good people actually uh i was actually went to a plow event here in pittsburgh um not, not last week actually that they were putting in mm-hmm. called kingdom and city I think that's what it's called. <laughs> and, uh, and I actually met a member of the community who knows uh, some of the folks I was just talking about, actually. And so, um, but that's an, is that where you have to go? Uh, do you have to do something like that to truly escape our, our economic trappings, uh, that, that kind of, inf- that I think falsely mm. use our passion, that falsely use our good desires and mm. aim them in, in, in bad directions? What do you think, Nathan? 
Uh, my my inclination is to say that that is a good way to go, but it's not the only way to go. And they would say that too. Uh, they, <laughs> just uh, just know, to be fair, they would say that too. Uh, you know, I mean, in my own experience, you know, as a professor, I've, I've been teaching college since about 2000. I've been in the, the actual professor's role rather than the grad student for about 10 of those years. Um, you know, I mean, I have watched students develop uh, in their notions of, of what they do, right? Uh, you know, and, and usually, Danny, like we've been talking about, they start out from a very basic, you know, uh, what job can I get where I'm still living 20 minutes from home? Right. Uh, and then, you know, generally go through something like, you know, I've got this great passion for literature. I've got this great passion for science, so on and so forth. But I mean, with some, uh, well, I mean, I'm going to sound very Socratic here, but I mean, with some actual examination and not self-examination, but examination under conversation, you know, they come to realize that it's entirely possible and maybe even probable that their passions, their individualized pictures of what the good life is could use some refinement from people who are different, from people who are more experienced, from people whose, you know, life paths are different. And therefore, I mean, you know, this is where uh, I get to introduce them to a broader conception of reason than what they're used to. Right. Because I mean, Mm. For a lot of my students, and, and you know, Todd and Danny, you can you can speak to this to be sure. Uh, they think of reason as largely something that is instrumental, something that is pragmatic, something that you know abandons any kind of ideals. When mm-hmm. I bring them into conversation with you know the philosophical tradition, whether it's you know Plato or Augustine or you know uh, any of those you know good pre-enlightenment thinkers, mm-hmm. and they realize that you know this strong vision of the transcendent is the very grounds for reasoning for these folks. I think that, and I don't even have to, you know, say, I think that, you know, as if it were speculation, Mm -hmm. I have seen students acquire a much broader sense of vocation so that the call does come from beyond them, Mm -hmm. but it's not something that is merely an individualized passion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, this is sort of getting to the heart of, my motivation for you know seeking out a conversation about this how how do we as as college professors in um i i will i'll say broadly faith-oriented institutions because all three of us are of different stripes um how how what do you see your role or our role to put us in community together our role in developing this part of the student uh, and 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 their approach to the world because this is not done everywhere, right? This is not something that all colleges see as part of their job, as part of the role of the of the faculty in 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 helping students develop a um, a sense that is broader than you know that is broader than themselves than their own individual fulfillment, as you say. Um, how does that work out for us? Um, I teach at a Sisters of Mercy school, and we use the four core mercy values as kind of the, oh, I guess the framework for our education that we provide here. Um, we, it's mercy, justice, hospitality, and service, are the four mm-hmm. um, core values. And they, we have various ways, very specific ways in which we define those terms. But uh, we introduce them 
those terms early on in one of their um, like gen ed classes that we uh, offer here or that we require here actually. And I mean, it's more than offer. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, it's an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> exactly. You'll sleep with the fishes. Um, so um, <laughs> then, uh, so for me, the one that stands out though is service. I, I think my teaching had a, a, a positive turn this a couple, maybe a year or two, about a year ago, I, I started conceiving of it, and, and I used to think about changing my students and 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 like impacting them, and and I think that for whatever reason, I mean that was maybe me enacting the faulty premise of passion driven uh, vocation here, uh, but once I started intentionally conceiving of my job as service, um, I'm just like serving my students by recognizing the totality of their situation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and figuring out what I can do in any particular class to make it relevant to them and the best I can, right? Um, and like, so I know that you're a nursing major. You're somehow in my Kafka class here. Um, here's how <laughs> this will help you make sense of hospital bureaucracy or something. I don't know what it was like. Um, and, if, and, if you've got a patient who has turned into a bug. Yes, yes. But we've actually had some great conversations along those lines in that class. Uh, and and uh, and so and, and also I've made him wait. 48 minutes, 49 minutes here. Elliot Trimble, one of my Rhetoric One students, who has uh, uh, asked me for a shout out on the show. Uh, <laughs> apparently, he's been listening. I don't know how he even found out about it. But um, so if he's waited this long, I should call him out uh, as well and, and, and congratulate him. My Rhetoric One class, I've tried to, I mean, it's our, our freshman comp class. We call it Rhetoric mm-hmm. One. And I try to frame that in such a way that I it's bigger than just me narrowly teaching them how to write well for my own purposes, right? It's me trying to give them tools that they can certainly apply to writing well, but also in the pursuit of jobs that they um, find themselves pursuing um, the way to sort of, um, I I try to uh, serve them by making it clear why I'm uh, having them do the things I'm doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and for me, that, is one way that I've kind of used our religious framework to mm. um, actually improve my teaching. I think if I have to speak mm-hmm. for myself, uh, like I think I'm a far better teacher than I was three or four years ago. And so, mm. um, you know, Nathan probably attest to that. So, <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, you know, I've kind of already narrated mine, but uh, you know, in that writing class context, yeah. I mean, what Danny talks about it is, similar to what I do, but I mean, I actually make it an invitation to service for the students as well. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, what we're doing here is discovering ways of inviting a reader to what is true. So, I mean, you know, I tell my students, I mean, what you are doing is for the sake of the reader. It's never for the sake of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I say now, I mean, that's going to have, you know, uh, professional side effects. You know, I mean, if you can do that, well, you're going to dis- distinguish yourself Mm-hmm. from the other people competing for those college-educated jobs, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason you hire a college graduate is so that they can communicate with other human beings and get everyone going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. If you can do that better than the other people, you're going to be more attractive. But that's a side effect. What you're really doing and what you're really training for when you're in these liberal liberal arts classes is to interrogate reality because reality only answers the questions that you're ready to ask it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for that reason, you know, uh, that plays right into what Todd's talking about. And Todd, I'm going to lateral it back to you here in sure. a second. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, 
if there is the possibility, and of course I'm inviting them to a world where this is possible, that what they thought was their passion might not be as good as what their calling is, mm-hmm. then it, it stands to benefit them ultimately as human beings, as citizens, as parents, uh, in all of these roles that we play as human beings, it stands to benefit them to be able to interrogate what they think they want so that they can turn and pursue what is actually better. Mm. Mm. So how, how about you, Todd? Yeah. I mean, the, well, the, the, does this work in the physics classroom? <laughs> well, it, so physics is well, really think, a humanity. You realize this. It, <laughs> it, it's a human endeavor. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the way the way that I tend to approach my teaching, and I think my colleagues uh, would agree, we were just talking about this this week, in fact, um, uh, we would short sell our students if we did not continually go back to the fact that what we are doing is an entirely human activity wrought by humans, wrought for various purposes, uh, many of which have had very, very substantial um, positive impacts on uh, the way we live and the way we're, you know, the, the way we go about our, our lives and, and, and also on the flip side has had deleterious effects. Um, and we, we should really be thinking about both sides of that equation as we pursue our own individual lives with physics as part of the training that we are, 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 are taking. Um, it is, um, uh, we're, you know, we're very freely able to say that we are flawed, that, that we teach science and, you know, science is not, um, science is not a, a practice that is, um, given to 100% accuracy, uh, 100% correctness, uh, but there's always this element of uncertainty, which sometimes arises because of human flaws, other times arises because of the nature of the world as it is. Um, and, and people grappling with those realities are, 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 I mean, physics is full of people grappling with those realities. It, it, it very much so is not this objective uh, phenomenon that we sometimes paint physics and other sciences as 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 being. It's not divorced from humanity, uh, but in, in in fact has grown up because of the community of people um, pursuing it. Um, and so for for us, you know, I, I think every every field, every discipline um, uh, that that I'm aware of on on our campus. Um, we 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 do tend to speak of it in this way. Sometimes it becomes more uh, overt. Um, the social work folks, you know, clearly, you know, there is, yeah. um, you know, a deep connection at the core of what they do. Um, but I, you know, certainly the the sciences we have these conversations. Um, we regularly have these conversations. I mean, it's it's sort of it feels like a hallmark of of this place. Um, uh, I mean, it even makes its way into our our the, the mission statement. At, I wasn't going to bring this up, but as you guys were talking, I pulled up the mission statement because it, it just it sounded like what you were saying was echoing things that I know are in there. Um, one of the one of the statements that's made is 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 this: um, uh, as a liberal arts college, Luther is committed to a way of learning that moves us beyond immediate interests and present knowledge into a larger world. An education that disciplines minds and develops whole persons equipped to understand and confront a changing society. Um, and I mean, this is right in the heart of what we 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 are doing in in 
in every class I teach, um, um, including our, you know, our first year uh, Paideia class that I, I, mm-hmm. I talk about frequently, you know, um, we're learning in community. Uh, that's another statement. We challenge one another to learn in community, to discern our callings and to serve with distinction for the common good. That's right at the headline of our, you know, our institutional profile. Um, and, you know, in many ways, I think that's a much more realistic way of looking at sort of all disciplines that we pursue in higher ed, um, more realistic than I think sometimes comes across. And, but one thing I think we're talking in kind of idealistic terms. Um, there is a, there is an institutional structure that puts pressure on, on this goal. Right. And so like, Mm -hmm. I know that where I work, the nursing program, for example, is a big element of our, of our students here. I mean, our nurses and Mm -hmm. they have external crediting bodies, right. That kind of Mm -hmm. limit the gen ed work that we can do that, that, um, on an institutional level. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's a frustration for me personally. And I think for many of them as well, that, uh, they're in some ways excluded from these higher minded goals, <laughs> I think, um, mm-hmm. um, by the logistical pressures, uh, put on them by these external accrediting bodies. Um, and so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, can I, yeah, that happens. can I, um, Jay Eldred, longtime friend of the show often, uh, uh-huh co-host here um he just uh, posed a question responded on twitter um if you don't have a passion is it really your vocation um i, I think mm. we, we may have kind of hinted at that a little bit you guys want to take a explicit stab at wow <laughs> that uh, that would make some of my students really uneasy I mean, <laughs> you know um because I, I I think the idea of presenting work as a calling, um, which is a very Lutheran thing to do, of course, and so at Luther it's big. Um, we have we had a program, a long-standing program that was funded by the uh, Lilly Foundation for a, a long while, uh, you know, of, of, about discerning vocation. Um, uh, that can be a very high pressure kind of view, uh, way of viewing what one does yeah. because yeah, you get this very, you know, if I, the, uh, this is again, some of the students that I come into contact with, I don't feel that passionate about any particular thing. I, what, you know, am I, am I somehow weird? <laughs> am I somehow, am, is, is there something wrong with me that I don't have this burning passion to do this or that? No. Um, so I I don't know, um, you know, helping a student find what they ought to be doing in life, to me revolves around multiple things. One of which may be that you know, one of which is desire, but one of which is is a, a recognition of gifting, a recognition of um, skills that one has, and that recognition usually cannot happen on your own. Uh, it usually requires external affirmation. Yeah. And and so I think one finds calling um, in sometimes it, – it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right, yeah. to, to the end goal. And sometimes and, – and it takes mentors. It takes friends. It takes enemies. <laughs> it, it takes a whole community of people, I think, sometimes to help people find where they ought to be. And so – you know, I don't doubt that everybody has 
you know, a calling of sorts. Some will be more obvious than others, but I think you can't you can't neatly connect it to passion. Yeah, uh, I guess is my bottom line. Right. And I mean, I would even propose and I mean, this might just be that I want to invert the question that Jay poses. Uh, I would propose that precisely what Todd just narrated is the difference <clears throat> between passion and vocation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, passion is uh, something acting on your inner person, right? Uh, it is a a great desire or a great anger or a great outrage or so on and so forth. Whereas vocation, uh, in order for something to be a call, someone has to be calling. And if you call yourself, that doesn't mean that you are inspired. It means you're nuts uh, <laughs> because you are disconnected from actual communities who have a voice to call you. Now, I don't want to minimize that, you know, there are very peculiar uh, instances, right? You know, the prophet Isaiah or the apostle Paul or someone like that, where there actually are invisible disembodied voices calling them to do things. But I would say that for most of us, the calling comes from a community rather than from an individualized experience. Yeah. Yeah, I just, uh, our local high school, Central Cambria High School in uh, Pennsylvania, um, just went to a production of Into the Woods last night. It was amazing. Those guys did a great job. But it's kind of the theme of that play is that you're in the woods. You're sort of lost. You don't know where you're going. The only way out really uh, for those characters is to form a community, right? Uh, And when when they do that, they're they're they find whatever solace and rescue that they find in that play. And, and I think it's, um, uh, it isn't just a, a, an internally driven knowing what to do. I mean, that is what gets everybody into trouble is when they act as right. individuals in that play. That, that and going anywhere alone with wolves or princes. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Um, but, uh, they did a great job by the way. Um, I'm sure nobody from the school listens to the show, but, um, um, two things, Todd, your students who are concerned that they don't feel passionately, they are not out, uh, weird because I always say this is me too. I mean, the only reason I don't have tattoos is I've never believed in anything strong enough to make it permanent on my body. (laughs) So, and so I, uh, so I, that's sort of, I totally stumbled into what I do. I worked in television in sort of an engineering department, wanted to get out of that department, just had to finish my degree, which I'd left at Kent state 10 years before. And, um, and uh, it was just logistically faster for me to be an English major. And I just wanted speed my last semester a professor asked me if I had ever thought of grad school and I'm like, well, no, but now I will. And so, and, and here I am, right. It was a total, it was not a calling or it was not a passion of mine. I've, uh, it was following a curiosity and an openness to the situation that I found myself in. Um, and, but it was, um, ultimately, uh, something that was not just me pursuing my desires. Right. In fact, my initial desires were thwarted by my, me recognizing the situations. Um, and I also want to say to Jay's question is that vocation is not necessarily just your work, right? Um, I mean, you're the work, the work you do for money, right? A vocation is, uh, is also, I mean, I don't get paid anything. I mean, we, we all, 
pitching the kitty here for this, right? Uh, we, we don't make any money on this show. <laughs> we, we just spend money to make it, right? Um, this is still part of my vocation though, right? And I feel like in many ways, it's more fulfilling than many aspects of my regular job. Um, and I always thought, sometimes I think, man, if I could just do this all the time, then I think it would ruin it on some level if I got, if I, if I, if I, if I quit, if I attached money to this endeavor, this podcast, I, I think it would in some ways lose some of the magic that it has for me. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys feel that way. I mean, I'll, I'll be willing to reconsider this if someone wants to give me a million dollars or something <laughs> to podcast full time. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm willing to change my mind. You know this about me, but uh, <laughs> someday we might make Wayne's world for a living. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, we're getting uh, uh, you know, just over an hour. Do you want to like move towards wrapping things up, Todd? Yeah. What do you have? Well, we we we, we should, but I mean, I, I just want to I want to echo some of this um, last discussion. You know, I think it is entirely wrong to to try to zero in on a vocation. Because that does cause you an identification with one particular aspect of your person that I, I, I think can be uh, can be problematic. Um, uh, you know, multiple vocations I think is true for just for just for anyone for everybody. Uh, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm uh, I'm a Christian. I'm a I'm a I'm a scientist. Uh, I'm a, a teacher. I'm a mentor. All of these things have, you know, they, they of course, they interweave with with each other, um, but no one of them is is my being. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do identify yourself too tightly with one of them, I think you can, uh, you know, you're in for a world of hurt uh, on all the others, which are in fact true vocations that you have. Um, and uh, yeah, so so I think it's important to have a broader view of of what what vocation is and a broader view really of 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 the relationships between your work and and everything else in your life i i i guess um well and if i can jump in todd i mean that that reminds me of uh one of martin luther's short treatises on marriage right uh where he basically says you know the the holy vocation of raising children is what God calls you to if you are married. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if your call is to become married, then, you know, that is the work that is before you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, in some ways, you know, to go back to the, the students that Danny and I have been talking about who just want to get married, get a job, you know, raise their kids not far away from their own parents. Mm-hmm. That's precisely what Martin Luther had in mind. Yeah. Uh, I- so, I mean, that this this idea that what you do for a paycheck is the sum total, like you just narrated, Todd, is you know such a narrowing uh, of this broad sense of vocation that Martin Luther put forth 500 years ago. Yeah. Uh, that I, that I think we miss out. I mean, I, I say that as someone who probably criticizes Martin Luther more often than I praise him. Mm. Well, in that very essay, I believe the uh, one of the chief callings of the father is to is the washing of of the baby's diapers, right? Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we all have uh, participated in various aspects of uh, of infant raising. Um, <laughs> well, wash that yeah. diaper as if it were a holy shit. No, I like. <laughs> Get the beeper out there, Danny. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna have to beep another one. 
I, so as we head to the exit, what do you uh, what what do you guys want to say in 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 closing? Um, you know, again, as college professors, um, uh, you know, we have a particular role for our students, and in the financial period, the the economic situation that we find ourselves in. Um, how can we be most helpful um, in in thinking about this this interplay between what one wants to do and what one should do with their lives? Um, I don't care. I, uh, uh, Danny, want to start? Um, sure. I mean, I'm just sort of thinking in very practical terms about the kinds. I mean, I have these conversations a lot in class, and um, I mean that's one reason I, I begin my second. Uh, semester composition class, which is also kind of an intro to lit class. Um, I have them read a summer's reading. I may have mentioned this somewhere on the mm-hmm. podcast before by Bernard Milamud, um, which is a, a beautiful little story um, about reading and education as empowering and, and developing and self-fulfilling. Right. And then I follow that up with having them read Franz Kafka's a report for an Academy, which is about this, <laughs> this ape who learns to speak and, and yeah, just yeah. spends the whole time trashing education and, and freedom, right? The idea of the freedom that comes with education, he diminishes and just refuses to give any, uh, any kind of truck to. And, and I feel like I, I explicitly say the reason I put these together is that that's kind of a binary to think about this. Is your education something that's going to be personally liberating for you? Um, is it something that actually boxes you in and, and confines your experience um, by giving you fewer options in life, by specializing in whatever you do? Uh, and so the kind of juxtaposition of those two stories, for me, opens up a really healthful dialogue that we, op- we continue the whole semester um, yeah. thinking about the role of education. Um, and for me, that's, that's my philosophy on this is uh, Gerald Graff has the, you know, the, the, the concept of uh, teaching the controversy, right. In terms of the culture wars, he's talking about what we do with this as English professors in, uh, in the nineties. Um, but I, I think the same thing when we're, um, I teach, I mean, I have them think about their education as part of their education. I, I make it an object of, of education as well. Um, and not just the, uh, not just, the content, right? And so I have them be very reflective on the purposes uh, of what they're doing throughout their their life. And I, my hope is that Elliot, if you're still listening, uh, if you're just waiting for your shout out and then just hung up on us, whatever, <laughs> I still have to submit grades, man. Uh, but uh, uh, but uh, my my hope is um, for folks like Elliot who um, are that will kind of develop a habit of mind of self-awareness and, and being um, kind of conscious of your desires and why you desire what you desire when you desire it. And, and so, so that's kind of my hacky English professor answer. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would go in a similar direction. I mean, I tend to be a little bit more subversive with it. You know, what I tell my students is that, yeah, I mean, employers are looking for that college degree. They're looking for that GPA, uh, and you know, you've got to do what you got to do to do that. But what's happening is that, you know, while the employers who are, you know, in some kind of power over you because they can hire you or not hire you are running their game, uh, let's entertain the possibility that God is running God's own game and that God might be calling you to the life of an intellectual. So while you are getting your specialized training, let's also, dig into books that get you asking questions that you wouldn't be able to ask unless you had read those books. Uh, let's get into 
inquiries uh, that, you know, won't be part of your professional life, won't be something you do for a paycheck, but might help if you're in a church someday or if you're in a city council someday or if you are approached someday, you know, with a request for advice. Mm -hmm. uh, let's realize that, you know, uh, most of our jobs, you know, are going to demand part of our day from us and that the rest of your life, you can either be a better free person or you can be a worse free person. And let's gear that liberal arts education towards being the best free person that you can be mm. and really grab hold of it and make it worth something. Because frankly, I mean, the way that colleges are set up, if you want to approach it this way, you can treat your gen ed classes as so many of my students do as hurdles to hop over yeah. on the way to your specialized credentialing. And that's all you ever do with that. Uh, but the opportunity that lies there is to say, if I undergo this discipline and if I actually respond to this invitation to be an intellectual as well as an engineer, an intellectual as well as a manager, an intellectual as well as a, an elementary educator, uh, then the rest of my life, when I'm not on the clock, stands to be better for my neighbors. And really, one of the side effects is the part of my life that is on the clock where I am earning a paycheck, I actually might be able to do some better service there as well. So, you know, it, it, it for me, uh, you know, like like the uh, professor at, at the end of the last battle in, you know, Lewis's Narnia tales, uh, you know, it's all in Plato. It's all in Plato. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, so I... I often, um, when I'm talking with my students, and I, I, I do this early on in the semester, regardless of the class that I'm teaching, uh, I do this in conversation in my office uh, over coffee and whatnot. Um, I, I, I often tell them that they what they need to recognize or one of the things that would be helpful for them as they're starting this journey through college um, it would be helpful if they understood that this is really for the, the probably the four freest years of their life, uh, yep. you know, and and that they're, they're the better attitude to go through uh, this educational process is is one in which you recognize um, that get to is the appropriate verb, not have to, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you get to study this, you get to ask these questions of yourselves and, and, and to, um, uh, give a hat tip to, to, to the, uh, CHP Godamer episode that was just dropped. Um, you know, they're going to be changed. They're going to be changed by the questions they ask. They're going to be changed. They're going to become different people. They will be different after having asked a, a, a given uh, set of questions than they were before, and they will, you know, not be able to go back and untransform themselves, um, uh, you know, from the transformation that occurs through the the wrestling with with good big questions. Um, I think that's what we need to be helping our students see is the value of uh, sort of stepping back from oneself for a moment and asking questions that human beings have been asking for millennia uh, to be asking them in a contemporary context to listen to those same questions echoed throughout uh, the corridors of history. Um, you know, I, I, I think that when we can get students to that place um, where part of what they are doing 
It doesn't have to be the whole part, of course, but part of what they're doing is engaging with a broader community outside of their own narrow specialty um, is going to be beneficial in a whole host of ways because they aren't solely uh, a, a, a biologist at the end of the day. They're not solely an American at the end of the day, um, but they, 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 they have other callings that connect them to other people and, and this, this broader education uh, that they are receiving – is going to help them, uh, help them both personally, but also help them help others. So since this isn't my show to end, uh, you know, the last word goes to Danny. Well, I've been feeling guilty all, sem- all episode. Um, Todd, you know, is a scientist, and I'm sitting here wearing my cryptozoology T-shirt um, that I got <laughs> at the, uh, the cryptozoology. <laughs> it's a total bad segue there. Um, but I've been wanting to find a way to squeeze it in all, all, all episode, and I finally did. But, uh, but yeah, no, this was great, Todd. Uh, I, it's well worth the two years uh, of waiting uh, for, for me. Um, I, I've had, I feel like I... You know, the thing I love about this show is getting to pick the brains of, of uh, smart guys like you guys. And, and I feel like I've come to, you know, know my, my business just a little bit better. And, uh, and it's been, uh, it's been entertaining. Um, I want to thank you guys. If you want to follow up, Todd, you mentioned the Gottimer episode on the Christian Humanist podcast. ChristianHumanist.org is where you'll find uh, links to that show. Um, and I'll, everything else the network does. Uh, we have uh, lots of episodes. Do you want to get what's going on on the network, Nathan? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, uh, we just did our, you know, crossovers. Yeah. We've been, you know, it's kind of become an annual tradition on the Universal Monster movies. Yeah. Uh, Christian Feminist and Sectarian Review have done episodes on Stranger Things. Yeah. Uh, trying to think other other happenings in the network. The City of Man. They put out new episodes so fast I can't keep up with them. <laughs> yeah, Quill um, just released an interview on his, on that show with with somebody I forget the name now, but yeah, very good, very good. And Pieta Schoolman uh, has sort of re, uh, revived a little, right? Yes, they've been doing a mini series on the Reformation, and I'm actually a little bit behind on that. I haven't listened to their uh, episode on the Radical Reformation yet, so I'll probably do that while I'm driving home tonight. Yeah, and I hear that uh, Book of Nature has three episodes that need somebody to edit them. They, well, I'm working on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> they'll they'll come out in time and then we'll get back on a recording schedule but this semester just has spanked all three of us so uh, as the, as did the previous two semesters so yeah that's what happens this is why in the summer i try to uh, record as many in advance as possible but uh i uh i, I do want to thank you guys for joining me today this was a great show um i also want to thank the listener um i really uh enjoy the feedback we get from you if you want to take a minute go to itunes and leave us a nice comment there or a bad comment i'm okay with that and uh and then go uh to the facebook page that's become a, a kind of a fun place for to have uh interesting little conversations that spring off sometimes specific episodes sometimes not right and so uh join the facebook page find us on twitter and uh if you have a, a suggestion for a show i would love to hear it i'm i answer every response that i get and uh and i'm more than happy to do that for you uh thanks everybody for uh being part of the sectarian review podcast and uh have a a great day <laughs>